This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Claire Cunningham's family and friends would have been very surprised had she not pursued a career with horses. Claire is one of five children born to Daniel and Julie Cunningham and grew up on a 100-acre property called Desmond Park at Bairnsdale in Victoria's East Gippsland region. Her parents, both expert horse people, worked for the owners of Desmond Park, which accommodated brood mares on adjustment and outside mares which were close to foaling. Breaking in and the education of young horses was another service offered by the Cunningham family. Claire was literally in the saddle before she could walk and gained expert tuition in horse management from her parents. In late teens, she began a Bachelor of Division I registered nursing course in Melbourne, but soon discovered she would need to supplement her income with a second job. She worked for John Maloney for a short time before transferring to Peter Moody at Caulfield, beginning with stable duties and quickly graduating to riding track work. Claire Cunningham is now training a team of 25 in her own right at Warwick Farm in Sydney and has already made her mark in the Sydney training ranks. It's great to welcome Claire Cunningham to the podcast. No worries, John. Thanks for having me. You know, you're a trainer who likes to take horses where they can win and we saw a great example last Friday, uh, the 13th of September. You took a little mare called Fight the Need to Gulban to win a maiden impressively and you sent a gelding called Keep Up to the mid-north coast to run a very good second in the Tuncurry Foster Gull Cup. I was looking for you at Tuncurry. <laughs> yeah, I... um. We had to make a decision which way to go, and to be honest, it it all comes down to transporting the horses and where I needed to drive the the car and float. So I was able to get a truck uh, to Tuncurry, so I, I sent my foreman there, and um, the transport to Goulburn, it just suited me to to drive her down. So um, that's which way I went, and uh, we got a we had a really good day. We had a, a win in a second, so uh, we're very happy. Claire, the Gulban Maiden was probably a little bit better than the average maiden down there. She got a hell of a long way back, bearing in mind this is only her second start, so she can't know all that much about it. But uh, gee, there was a lot to like about the win. She looks a real little trier. Yeah, she is, John. Um, Gulban... Goulburn, it's even though it's classified as country, it's nearly like racing in the provincials. Um, a lot of city trainers and horses go down there, and uh, it's it's a. I, I we have a lot of luck. The stable has a lot of luck at Goulburn. Um, both myself and Jason love taking horses there. They they seem to get their chance. Um, not too much bias down there, and it's it's just a great track. So uh, we took her down there, and I I really kind of. I wasn't overly happy with my race choice for her. Yeah. However, I, I knew third up. I knew she had plenty to learn, and I knew third up we'd be able to get her up over a further distance. So uh, the owners are very supportive, and they they just were happy for me to take her down there and tick her over. She would learn a bit more, and we'd learn a bit more about her. But the one thing we've always known is that she's extremely tough, and she's always wanted to be a racehorse. She's only 
she's tiny. Um, she's only about just under 400, 150 kilos, which is very little for a four-year-old mare. Like the, she's getting close to her, you know, peak development um, weight, and um, she makes up for it with her attitude. Yeah, she uh, she obviously doesn't have a mirror because she thinks she's about six hundred kilos and bigger and stronger than everyone else. So. It was a real bonus. Um, she got it, it seemed a little bit biased on Friday, but um, Jace just rode her where she was comfortable and there was a good tempo. And she picked up the bridle and nudged her way to some open open space and was very strong. Yep, like, I've just had yeah. a look at the replay of the race. I'll be very <coughs> surprised if she doesn't win again in the near future. Yeah, exactly. And we're learning a bit more about her scope. Uh, her mum. Her mum was a stayer and her grandmother was a stayer. Uh, so we're hoping she would be able to stretch out a little bit, which will help her come closer to town. Mm. I mentioned in the introduction that you're training a team of 25 at Warwick Farm and I get the feeling that you wouldn't want to train anywhere else, Claire. You love the farm. I do love the farm, yeah. The uh, the lifestyle around the farm probably could improve, but um, we... Our work is pretty much our life at the moment. So the facility of Warwick Farm, um, especially for my type of team, uh, it has the variety of um, a bit of space and some different tracks to help freshen up horses' uh, horses' brains, I suppose, mm. and I, I get a few tried horses. So it's nice to have that choice of being able to go out to the polo field and work in the opposite direction without any without any rails. Um and it's just a big, it's a big open, spacious tra- tra- training track. And but you still got those little um, assets like the the ATC barrier attendants there on a Friday to help you educate yeah. your horses and unofficial jump outs that you don't have to pay for. So mm. it's uh, it's got the b- best of both worlds, really. It'd just be nice if the uh, the beach could be a little bit closer. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> <It laughs> if, if I was to have everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Claire, you've got one luxury that few trainers have and that, that is the services of a brilliant jockey and a thoroughly experienced horseman, your partner, Jason Collett. Yes, yep, certainly. Um, it was either, I even got him out of bed this morning to, to write a bit of track work for me this morning, so mm. I'm a bit of a, a tough uh, partner, but he, he really enjoys it, John. Um, he, he gets a bit of a thrill out of the horse's obviously succeeding and uh, and working on them from, you know, their, their early ages. So um, he enjoys it. But like you said, it, it is, it's a real bonus and a, a big asset to be able to have someone like him on the horses consistently and helping me train and, and work them out. Mm. You met Jason when you arrived at Rose Hill with the Peter Moody team. And he had just arrived from New Zealand. He was writing a lot of work at the time for Chris Waller. Now, was he subtle in his approach, Claire? Oh, I think um, I think his pickup lines probably could could improve. I think that the book that he got them the book that he got them out of might have been a bit dated, but um, <laughs> they were very they were very funny. And uh, he he was quite a shy. Uh, well, he still is probably a little bit shy, but um, I actually didn't know he was. He was trying to say hello to me for a while, um, which he, he told me later on <laughs> that yeah. he was trying to say hello for a while and I was just not even giving him a glance. But um, we it helps that, yeah, we, we both worked in the same type of um, 
time frames, I suppose. As, yeah. as you know, we, we get up and work at very different hours and um, and it just kind of worked with us and we started hanging out and it's developed from there. I want to take you right back to the early days at Desmond Park in Bensdale, Victoria. Riding tuition was freely available because your mum, Julie, was and still is an excellent instructor. Yeah, she sure is. She... um. It was pretty much tough but fair treatment, I suppose. And like you said, I've got a um, a clipping at home of uh, myself at Pony Club on my first pony. At the age of four, I was competing. <laughs> mm. So uh, r- riding without any assistance at the age of four. But that was just life, yeah. We're, we were really lucky, you know. So we had the choice of many horses and um, – and that was our hobby, but it was also life as well. Like, obviously, we were able to help mum and dad in their careers um, once we, you know, learned how to deal with horses and be around horses. My, my first job was to break in and educate horses. There was no mm. working down at the, lo- at the local Maccas. We uh, we earned our money on the farm. So mum mm. trained or, or she educated pretty much nearly every kid in that di- in that district how to ride horses and um she's a wonderful she if she could she would ride my horses of a track work in the morning but we've put a bar on her so <laughs> she's uh she's mid 60s in age and she would still run circles around most of the people yeah uh, that work in this industry mm. dad was obviously a, a top horseman himself uh, he broke them in, he educated them, but to what extent has he trained racehorses in his time? Um, in relation to what type of horses or...? Uh, no, as he's raced horses himself as trainer. Yeah, yeah. He um, he he grew up uh, in Melbourne and his uh, father and brother were racehorse trainers and he used to work for them and... He met my mother at George Hanlon's, so used to ride and work for George Hanlon, but he's quite a stronger built um, gentleman, so he didn't do a hell of a lot of track work, uh, but he obviously knew how to handle horses and um, and uh, um, the Cuthberts and Richards family asked him to train in Desmond Park Studs, so they gave him a, a team to kind of take on himself, and mm. and he also had his own horses that he bred and and raced himself as well. So right. um, he's just poked along now with a couple of breeding mares and um, any kind of race horses that um, once, once mum and dad educate them or break them in, they come up to me and, and we sort them out as race horses now. But yeah, um, yeah, he's just taking a step back now. Yeah, mum and dad broke in dozens of young horses, educated them, got them up and going and uh, if they were good enough or if your dad felt they were going to be good enough, they'd go straight down to George Hanlon and one young horse, Claire, that I wonder if dad ever dreamed uh, the heights to which uh, he would aspire when when he walked out of the gate was Diatribe who went on to win a Caulfield Cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, Being four hours away from Melbourne, any horse that kind of was going to be very competitive in in the metropolitan circle 
Um, they did send it down to George Hanlon, but up till up till those stages, uh, mum and dad did a lot of the groundwork and educated them, and um, before they, you know, they got shipped off or, or sold for good money. So um, it was just the way that business functioned. Dad, in his own right, went once uh, he was training his own horses. We used to um, take them down to Melbourne and compete. There was a good horse called Bush Boss that mm. that won the Country Horse of the Year. So. Um, it, it's tough being that far away from the city, uh, but, you know, we, we had our fair share of, of nice horses. At what point in your life did you decide to take up that nursing course? Um, well, mum, mum and dad, uh, I'm one of five, like you said, and mum and dad mm. told oh, it was it was not much of a choice. We had to choose a career that wasn't to do with uh, horses. So um, every one of us are educated and qualified in, in, in a different um, career line. And I seem to like the anatomy and physiology um, of uh, the medical world. So uh, I think I had a, a friend that was a nurse as well. And after doing some work experience, I w- yeah, I was interested in that line. So it was kind of towards, obviously, the end of high school when we had to start making decisions about mm. what we want to be for the rest of our lives. Um, I I thought nursing was a good start. So mm. um, had uh, just obviously nursing wasn't I'm, – I'm not the most academic person, so uh, nursing wasn't a, a – an overly tough course to get into at the time. So it, it suited me down to a T. So I got into RMIT, which was nice, um, and started straight after year 12. You graduated with distinction and you worked as a nurse for another three years. Which hospital? Uh, we, we worked. I worked at Box Hill Hospital mm. at, um, in the public hospital, yeah. You developed an interest in the cardiac and respiratory field at the time and you mentioned to me once that if ever you went back to nursing, which is highly unlikely, that's <laughs> the area that you'd concentrate on. Yeah, I kind of I, I needed to be um, stimulated with some intense kind of problems. So I've really liked the, the cardiac system and, and just being around, you know, the the intense situations where you needed to be thinking and always educating yourself. So um, I worked on the cardiac ward and they offered me a postgrad uh, to specialise and work for them. But at the time, it just I wasn't ready for it. So mm. if I was to go back, it would definitely be in that type of sector or emergency or ICU or something yeah. you know, that would keep me busy. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned in the intro, you became a valued member of the Peter Moody team and you rose through the ranks very quickly. And you must have created a big impression because in May of 2011, he put you in charge of a five-horse team to Brisbane for the carnival and one of the five had a pretty high profile. Which one was that? <laughs> Might have been black caviar at the time. I, um, me. Yeah, we... Uh... I, I was I just finished the the grad year of nursing and I needed to make a decision um, as to what what I do next I suppose I knew I didn't probably I needed to venture out of Melbourne I'd been there for long enough and uh, Moody yeah Moody asked if I would like to take the team up with um, another staff member to to Queensland and it was it was, it was a really other than the fact that you know she, she was a um obviously a high profile racehorse. It was a really fun experience. I'll never forget uh, the time up there and and the attention and the experience she brought with it. We uh, 
we jumped in a truck and and drove her up to to Queensland mm. and the rest of the team and mm. we were it was nearly like we were undercover we were trying to get a one we were trying to stay one step above uh, in front of the media and uh, and <laughs> and the people so we got into Dubbo supposedly and and as we were leaving everyone had caught on that she was there and they went to the farm just yeah. as we were leaving Dubbo, they all arrived at the farm to see her. So we kept on staying. We just tried to mainly look after her and she didn't need any more uh, hassle than, um, than you know, the, the big trip up there. So we just tried to protect her and give her a nice, quiet journey up to Queensland. And we actually, Moody wanted us to keep pretty quiet about her arrival in Queensland. Um, he wanted us to to tell the public and that she was she was coming up later um so we we were we were riding horses and settling them in, into brisbane with desley foster and we'd pretty much pulled it off for a week um people yeah. would have a look at her and we at the time we had another horse up there called set for fame mm. and she actually looked quite similar to nally uh, to black caviar so mm. every time we kind of brought black caviar out to work uh they'd be like that's her isn't it and mm. Luckily, we had a, another horse that looked similar to her, and we're like, no, this is set for fame. Um, Black Caviar will come up later, um, towards closer to the race. So we pulled it off for, I think it was about a week, and then Moody came up to visit, and the first person that asked him, he, he blurted out, like he, he blew our cover. So we had tried so hard. <laughs> We had tried so hard to keep her uh, in disguise, yeah. and the first person that asked him where she was, he said it was she was here. So yeah. from that day onwards, it was just crazy. You gave up. The, you gave up. We, yeah, we had to have security, and oh, yeah. we couldn't go anywhere with it without a group of people watching her and following her. But yeah. you know, little things like that it makes you laugh now, and oh, yeah. it, was, it was a great trip. Yeah, she was shooting for her thirteenth straight on that occasion. And her mission, in fact, it was her only Queensland start, was the Group 1 BTC Cup. She won it by two lengths from poor old Haylist, who must have yeah. been sick and tired of looking at her backside. The bridesmaid, yeah. It was a wonderful day. I, again, I'll, ne I'll never forget the crowd. It was um, – it the, the Doombin was just uh, you wouldn't I couldn't see a spare piece of land in the whole race course and I remember obviously they parade around the back of the um the race the the grandstand there in their in their parade where they leg the jockeys up and I was standing in the middle with Peter and you looked around and it was all it was was faces and shoulders just from from as far as you could see and the tension like obviously I was quite new to it and I felt that attention um Rudy was yeah. pretty quiet at the time and mm. everyone was pretty quiet we just wanted it to to get over and done with and mm. um the mayor just walked around the mountain yard like it was you know she's such a professional like it was nothing and yeah. she actually I'll never forget she stretched out and actually took a wee in front of everyone and everyone yeah. the crowd just stared at her she was that <laughs> relaxed that she could <laughs> urinate in front of everyone and oh, yeah. um and they were cheering at her and yelling at her. And then there was a bit of a silence where we walked past the grandstand uh, to the front of yeah. the grandstand where there was another big group of people, mm. uh, spectators. And it, it, the crowd went quiet from, from back in the parade where everyone was mm. chanting. They knew that she was on the move. And when she walked past the grandstand, all of a sudden we walked out to the front of the grandstand and there was just this chant like a football game. It was it was unbelievable. It gave you goosebumps when you felt it and, and listened to it. So, 
Mm. It was it was a great time, and yeah, it was good to be able to pull it off, I suppose. Just to give you an idea of how great she was, she toyed with Haylist in that race, four and three quarter lengths away in third place was a horse called Buffering, who later won seven Group Ones. I know. Later on in his career, I mean, so he finished something like six and three quarter lengths behind Black Caviar that day. Yeah, she was a weapon, wasn't she? Oh, incredible, yeah. Claire, let's take a little break on the podcast and we'll be back with you in just a moment. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis Auction of the Year, the 2019 Ready to Race Sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Well, Claire, when you got back to Melbourne, you were seriously contemplating a return to nursing. For some reason, you were looking at Western Australia. What prompted that? I'm not too sure, John, at the time. I I knew I wanted to go somewhere different and uh, none of the family had really tried WA at the time, so I thought, why not go and venture over there and um, I, I think I might have looked for jobs as well uh, in nursing and there might have been a couple of jobs in Perth that uh, that appetised me at the time. So mm. I, I can't remember, to be honest, but that, yeah. I knew I was heading in that direction just to, to see something new. My, fam- yeah. my brothers live in Darwin, so we'd already kind of – I already knew what Darwin was about and I wasn't really interested in Sydney at the time and, um, mm. yeah, I just thought WA might be nice, so – I was kind of starting to make plans to go over there. Well, you quickly abandoned those plans when Peter (laughs) Moody called you into the office one morning and absolutely rocked you with a shock (laughs) proposal, a shock proposal. Yeah, I wasn't really expecting it, that's for sure, yeah. I finished track work that morning and uh, he said, can I talk to you after track work? And I really didn't, I didn't know what he was yeah, I didn't know what he was wanting to talk about, to be honest, and I actually hadn't heard of the plans to um, start a, a stable in Sydney. So, yeah, he asked, he, he told me the plan um, to start a little 10-horse barn at, at Rose Hill and it was only – it was just going to be a, a test for a year to see if it would uh, financially float or if it suited the his stable routine and yeah. – uh, if he wanted to continue with the satellite stable, and uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll tr- I'll take it on for a year. No worries. Mm. I can always go back to nursing after that." And the team took a little while to get going in Sydney. You were quiet for a while. Yeah, it was um, it's quite frustrating and a bit emotional. We got we got up to Rose Hill and we had a we had a full barn, but we couldn't. 
Um, we couldn't break our duck for, I don't know, about four or five months, I suppose. Mm. We were running placings and it just didn't seem to be going that well um, with our success. So once we, I think we got a, I think Lethal Arrow won a race in town uh, mm. at Rose Hill, if I remember right, yep. and that just, that kicked us off and we, um, from that day on, we held our own and um, were successful enough and and the stable, you know, it worked out well from that day on. Yeah, yeah I'm just looking at some of the horses to pass through your hands in Sydney. Uh, Plucky Bell, Dissident, Bring Me the Maid, Pasadena Girl, High World, Managar, Brilliant Bisque, Lidari, King's Rose, Gee, she was a nice mare, King's Rose. You only had her for a couple of runs, Claire, and she ran two-thirds at Group 1 level. Mm. Yeah, she was a beautiful mare, and uh, I think she went to Singapore after that. To mm. Moody took her over to Singapore. I think the owners were based in Singapore, but, um, yeah, she was a beautiful mare, but mm. uh, we, we couldn't get a win with her in Sydney. But, yeah, still pretty good. And Dissident, uh, what a lovely horse. He won seven from 21, two million in prize money, he won five Group 1s, Dissident, and he has gone on to make his mark as a stallion. He uh, he actually spent a lot of time in Sydney, John. He's a beautiful horse. We had him from a, uh, a two-year-old age and um, very mature and everything he did as a kind of two-year-old, early three-year-old was just raw talent. He, mm. he didn't really switch on until he was kind of a late three-year-old and um, then he started to become a, a real warrior. But early days, he was just kind of running on his natural natural ability and he was just very playful and didn't really take things that serious. But he was an amazing uh, horse mentally. He, you, you wouldn't have even known he was, even towards the end before he became a stallion, you wouldn't have even known he was a stallion, mm. uh, or a colt, should I say. Um, yeah. Very placid, could work with anything um, and not not but an eyelid. He he wasn't an overly very he wasn't an overly competitive track work galloper. Mm. Um, if you didn't know him, you would have been worried with his gallops leading into his races. But Peter knew him very well, and um, yeah, he, he was. I I've got a couple of his progeny now, and and they go quite well. We're just being patient with them, knowing that uh, he needed time, and I think these guys will be the same. Mm, there was one. Memorable day for you at Randwick during an autumn carnival when you saddled up three winners. Uh, Dissident was one of them, Pasadena Girl was another and High World was the third. What a kick that must have been. It was a great day, yeah. I remember one of the track work riders that morning said, uh, what's your best today? And I said, all three of them. And he looked at me and I said, well, they're, they're all they're all very good chances and mm. then uh yeah we we got the first winner which was wonderful i think maybe pasadena girl might have been the first winner she won the group one and, mm. and then high world high world won a group two um and uh i said oh, oh dissident was obviously the horse that we wanted to win yeah. the most uh, he he had obviously a stallion career lying on it and uh I thought before the race, I'm like, we can't be this lucky, surely. And um, and it was a wonderful battle between him and Wangina, I believe. And yeah. they battled all the way down the straight. It was just the battle of two warriors, really. It was they both had their their ears pinned back, and um, Jimmy Cassidy rode him that day. And yeah, it was just it was a wonderful day. It was it um yeah made me very proud. 
When Black Caviar came to Sydney to join your little stable for her final start, in fact, and her second crack at the TJ Smith, you got to lead her off the pony many times out in the middle there at Randwick. Uh, there's a little trotting and uh, canter track behind the trainer's hut. Mm. And you were telling me that uh, nothing could upset her, nothing could put her off a game. No pig rooting, no bucking, no kicking up. Her manners were just exemplary. Yeah, she was um, She was a lovely horse to have have around the stable, as um, it's pretty well documented. She was a real racehorse. She she just wanted to do her work. She wanted to be left alone to eat her, eat her meals and uh, and rest and and just try try to keep her as much of a horse as possible and and leave her in peace I suppose and that's all she wanted um, a lot of the horses P- Peter Moody's routine was to to trot horses off off the side of a pony without a saddle on and um, a lot of the horses loved um, you know their pony days and she was one of them she really enjoyed trotting next to the pony and having no weight on her back and um, you didn't have to like sometimes you have to worry about your horses that that are doing that because it can obviously be be a bit risky to let them go um, but she uh, she was no worry she's very professional. Now, Claire, it's probably unfair of me to bring this one up, but it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine. In the case of the huge stables, I'm talking about 180, 200 horses, as is the case with some huge Australian stables. The -the behind-the-scenes people who contribute to the well-being of horses sort of melt into the the framework of of the system. But in your case, where you only had 10 or 12 horses in work in Sydney on behalf of Peter Moody, you were completely hands-on. You were technically the trainer. Peter Moody himself was in the same situation for several years when he was Bill Mitchell's Brisbane foreman and had great success on Bill's behalf. Now, I don't know how it can be done, but I'd love to see more official acknowledgement of the contribution of caretaker trainers. Hmm. Um, look, I, I can't. I I can't complain, John. I thought I was very well looked after. Um, the hands-on approach that I um, was for Peter was a lot by my own choice. Um, if if I wanted to sit in the tower and drink coffee and uh, and be that type of trainer I could have if I wanted to but uh Peter very much just gave me a a free reign so Mm. I thought um my best work is when I can deal with the horses myself and see it for myself I was still and I still am I'm still learning um every day and I don't feel like you can learn about your horse if you're not with them um Mm. so that that even though obviously I probably increased my workload by yeah by 10 um I chose I chose to deal with them and be very hands-on and be doing every afternoon and um uh, but you know, I, I felt the media and 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 Peter Moody and the owners, um, they they gave me appreciation, and uh, I never felt that I was hard done by, and yeah. um, I was very lucky in that in that perspective. So it was all worth my while. Yeah, you've answered the question well. Mm-hmm. What did you take from seven years with Peter Moody? Did he leave you with a legacy? Um, 
he has taught me everything, I suppose. That my mum and dad are, like you said, terrific horse horsemen and horsewomen, and mm. they, I think, they take me taught, taught me the fundamentals of life and how to look after horses and that horsemanship of um, being able to read horses. But um, in relation to being a trainer in the city circle, I think Moody has taught me a lot um, to be out of cope. It's mm. it's not an easy career choice um and not just like the, the training of, of the horses is, is pretty easy compared to to dealing with the bad moments and the the criticism and the the yeah the tough times I suppose and little things like the media without working for for Peter and mm. and having his advice like um you, you know that it can be very daunting talking to people and it's the same with the owners uh he's taught me how to be very realistic realistic his routine mm. his way of training is very black and white it's very realistic there's you don't need to to if you do your routine uh in relation to your horses you uh you don't have to doubt yourself you don't have mm. to doubt your stable you come up with a line on your horses um, and you can be confident that your line is, um, you know, you, you can talk to your own owners with confidence, knowing, you know, giving them, giving them advice on their horse's ability and where we should be heading. And uh, look, to, yeah, to be honest, uh, every day I still I still speak to Moody quite regularly and and ask for his advice. I've still got a lot of his clients mm. um, within the stable and. Uh, it's it's yeah it's very very black and white it's a, it's a great routine and um, yeah I I think of back to how he used to deal and communicate with people and I think that's a big part of being a trainer is to be able to be strong enough to mm. to get through the daily communication and and people handling. Well, in the post Moody years, trainer Claire Cunningham opened for business at Warwick Farm. And you suddenly found yourself with a horse that nobody else wanted. How did you get Sir Barb? <laughs> he, um, I would have to thank Jason as well for coming across Sir Barb. We, I, I wanted to train. Obviously, we established the fact that I, I wanted to have a crack at, at a trainer's licence. Um, we had to be close to Sydney because of Jason's career. So uh, I thought I would just ride track work for, at the time I was riding track work for Bjorn Baker. So I thought if I could ride track work for Bjorn and play around with a horse, mm. that would keep me busy throughout my, my day. Um, yeah. So we looked at the tried horse sales. Um, we didn't have... We didn't have any anyone, you know, with money behind me to say, "Can you buy a horse and, and kick off your stable?" So it was our, it was my money that I had in savings. So it wasn't very much. And we looked, you know, obviously, with the tried sales, you want to look um, look for horses that have had ability that I might have, um, you know, trained off for some reason, and uh, you put a value on them and um, a value that hopefully will make you money if you can pull it off. So. At the time, Jason knew about Sir Barb. Uh, he had ridden him for Bjorn Baker a couple of years uh, earlier, yep. um, and Bjorn had sold him um, and uh, another trainer in Grafton had mm. had uh, been training Sir Barb when we brought him. So mm. um, 
he he's he was always he always had a character even when he was at Bjorn's he had a bit of a character and uh at the time when we brought him he was suspended from racing he had bad barrier manners um so we brought a horse for four grand with uh, that was suspended from racing and thought it was a good idea John somehow so we are uh, that was how so Barb come across our stable, we, we pretty much fluked it. I think mm. it was just meant to be, yeah. Well, you did a great job with him. You won four races pretty quickly, a couple at Goulburn and a couple at Warwick Farm. Now, Claire, I want to hear about the best horse you've had, Cradle Mountain. He's now a six-year-old. He's had 15 starts. He's won six of them, almost a quarter of a million in prize money. He's won one at Randwick, two at Rose Hill, He's had problems galore. Where is he and how is he? Uh, well, Cradle Mountain is uh, currently in the paddock having a holiday. Um, he's good. We we had a interesting preparation uh, in Peter Moody's terms. It was a character character building preparation last prep. <laughs> Um, so we, to, to look at the positive, we've learnt a lot more about our horse, which was nice. Um, we probably did things that we wouldn't have had to do if things went to plan like they have in previous preparations. It's very hard to change things when nothing's going wrong. So things, things didn't line up. The plan didn't line up this prep due to little setbacks and, uh, and we were, due, due to the setbacks, I went out of my comfort zone and, and attempted to see if he could uh, win races over further than six furlongs. Mm. And he showed that he can compete over over seven furlongs. I would love to eventually try and see if he gets over a mile because when we first had him uh, early days before he started winning, I always we always thought he would be a middle-distance horse. But um, due to the fact, like I said, that he won so many races over six furlongs early in his career, it's very hard to, to change what's not broken. Yeah. Well, Claire, I'm just looking at the clock and time's on the wing, so I'm going to quickly run through a few horses that you've had and a couple that you have currently. Mm-hmm. You were heartbroken when Just Shine went amiss. He'd only had 19 starts. He won five in a pretty short time three of them in the metropolitan area, and he won one at Randwick one day, I recall, with Corey Brown on board over the 1,800 metres, and gee, hit the line that day. Yeah, I try not to look at any photos or try and think about that horse because it still makes me sad. He um, mm. he was very, very promising. He, um, you know, the way he was kind of going and he continued to get better uh, with each preparation, um, in our stable, he, he would have easily won a group race for us. So um, it was sad he, he did uh, two very severe injuries in, in one go in his last start and we just couldn't – we tried to rehab him and he just couldn't come right. So he, at the moment, he's retiring on a beautiful farm in the Central Coast. But, yeah, very sad to have a horse with so much promise in a, a young developing stable and to lose him, but that's just the nature of the beast. Mm. Let's have a quick look at the three of your current horses. You've got a horse there by the name of Big Parade. He's a three-year-old. He's only had two starts for a win at Taree and a close second in a listed race at Eagle Farm in June. Where is Big Parade? Big Parade's currently in pre-training. Uh, he'll hit our stable in about a week or two um, to start full work. 
he we gave we obviously after such a promising first um preparate or first racing preparation uh we thought we better make a plan for him being a a colt as well a three-year-old colt Mm. um to give him the opportunity to win black type and and uh and you know be in those uh stallion making uh races if he is good enough so we have we've made a plan hopefully it works out He'll resume in the summer, uh, probably for the Gosford Guineas. Yeah. Uh, will be will be the test that will be second up, and depending on how he races in the in the Guineas, will will tell us if we're heading to the autumn or the winter. So yeah. he is very promising. He still had a, a fair bit of maturity to come mentally, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Peter has taught me that uh, travelling horses interstate can really toughen them up and and make or break them. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that trip to Queensland um, was to try and help him come on mentally as well next preparation. So yep. fingers crossed. Now a couple couple of quickies, Claire, for our punting listeners. You've got a maiden three-year-old filly there called Lady Loves to Gamble. One start, a very unlucky third at Newcastle. She got held up for a run. Yep, yep. She... Um, we, we, we again we were expecting maybe a, a top five uh, performance, but she gave a bit of cheek and was a bit unlucky and and ran a, a great third. So she's a, a filly that we're actually more looking towards next preparation in the autumn with her. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll have another start this week, uh, late this week, and if she goes well, she may even run in the flight stakes. But next preparation is the more of the kind of aim for her, yeah. and she does look promising, especially over a. In, in the future. Mm. And you've got a two-year-old filly in the place by the name of Super One Susie. You're pretty impressed and you're looking at the Jim Crack Stakes. Yeah, as you know, um, it, it's a day-to-day proposition with those two-year-olds. So at the moment she jumped out the other day in the unofficial two-year-old uh, jump outs down the straight and I was very happy with her. So uh, all going well, we'll head to the qualifying two-year-old trials and and then if she's good enough, she'll qualify and go to the gym crack. But she's very, very precocious, strong type by Super One. Well, Claire Cunningham, if genetics count for anything at all, you were born to be with horses. And at 30 years of age, you give every indication you're in for the long haul. You've got a top jockey. You just need that special horse to walk through the gate. Yes, exactly. So um, the racing game's been good to us so far and we'll just keep enjoying it and hopefully the one one thing that happens in this industry that everyone gets their turn. So yep. we'll just keep enjoying it, keep learning more and more and hopefully we'll come across a, a superstar one day. Great to talk to you on the podcast, Claire, a podcast which has been produced by Supernova Sound. The Stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinch and Brook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medaglia Doro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never, and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. 
October 22nd is the date for the English Ready to Race sale at Riverside.